Exact Nature loves partnering with the Sobriety Diaries because we are both 100% committed to helping you reduce your dependency on drugs and alcohol. Founded by a father and son in addiction recovery, Exact Nature's all-natural CBD products help you face the exceptional challenges of recovery, from addictive cravings to mood and focus, and my favorite, better sleep. Available in oils, soft gels, gummies, and topical creams, Exact Nature literally has you covered. As a supporter of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 at checkout to receive a 20% discount on your order. This offer is good throughout 2023 and shipping is free. Go to exactnature.com to learn more and to see the full line of products in advanced strengths, economy sizes, and at value prices. Again, use the code TSD20 and head over to exactnature.com to see why these products should be a part of your sober life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sobriety Diaries. I'm your host, Nate Kelly, a recovering alcoholic seven years from my last drink, a recovery mentor and podcast producer. I am so grateful to be bringing you these powerful stories of recovery told by you those who live them. Please share this podcast with anyone who may need it today. And with that, let's open the diary on episode 91. I am here with my new friend, Heidi Bechtel. Heidi, happy Sunday. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Yes, I'm excited to get to know more about you and see you know, what parallels we may have in our story and just have a quick chat. Everything's very conversational, so I'd love to get to know more about you. Let's start with your sobriety date. How long have you been sober? Yeah, so I have been sober since winter of 2019. I'm not sure of the exact date because I was kind of having a mental health event when it all kind of kicked off. I turned 30 December 1st on 2019, so it was somewhere around there was when I'd finally gotten sober. It's been a while, pretty good amount of time. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, no relapses. My addiction was Percocet and Xanax. Also, since then, I don't drink at all also, just because I don't even want to risk the yeah. potential for me to get into some other type of addiction. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. You know, it, it definitely is fueled, in my opinion, by the same emotions and sort of dependence and and sounds as though it's tied pretty tightly to your mental health. And my recovery is the same. So I can relate to that. I think it's important to understand where we came from. So let's jump into your story. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, start where you want to start and wherever makes sense to bring the listener along on a journey. But I'd love to get to know more about Heidi. Yeah, definitely. I'll probably start with my childhood. So I grew up with a mom who had borderline personality disorder. And I want to be very careful and not demonizing anyone who has that disorder because I know some people who have it who are really great, amazing people. Um, I think my mom, she didn't want to go to therapy. So I think she just never learned how to handle her emotions. And unfortunately, she kind of took that out on me and my brothers. So it was very much like walking around on eggshells growing up. I just kind of grew up into this very anxious child. (laughs) 
you know, in high school, just never feeling like confident in myself because my, my mom, I think she was just unhappy with her life. So she kind of took it out on, on us, you know, with like just name calling and things like that. So, you know, just growing up hearing that you're worthless and you're dumb and all these things, like can't gain any confidence. My very, very first drug experience was pretty young, like middle school. Like I smoked weed for the first time. I kind of embarrassing. It's so cringy, but (laughs) my mom would drink like Zimas and I I would bring them to school with me. And I thought I was so cool. (laughs) It's like so cringy now. For me, that was like, I was like, oh, I can just feel good by drinking a substance or taking a pill. And I just didn't really know how else to feel good kind of growing up. When I was 18, my mom and I, we stopped talking. We went no contact for about 12 years and I just kind of needed to heal. Also, I think she finally went to therapy from that. That was kind of a big wake up call for her. One brother didn't talk to her for eight years. Another one didn't talk to her for another amount of time. And I have two older brothers. All three of us have had drug problems. One of them was homeless for a while. He's better. He has a job and he's functioning, doing a lot better. My one oldest brother, unfortunately, he just doesn't seem to have been able to recover. He went to detox last week, but they weren't able to accept him into rehab because in Seattle, there's this drug going around called Trank, which people are using with fentanyl. When you use it, you get these sores on your body. Sorry if this is too graphic. No, yeah, um, I'm interested. So I'm learning a lot about why our drug problem is so bad in Seattle because he has these sores, he can't go into rehab. They don't want anyone with open sores in rehab. Right. And it's like, well, everybody has these because they're using fentanyl and train. It's a horse tranquilizer that they Mm. mix with fentanyl now. Your blood can't circulate to certain parts of your body. So then you just start having skin necrosis in certain parts. So as a family, we're trying to get my brother, you know, he, he now he's at a point where he wants to go, but now we can't even get him in because they're like, oh, he has all these wounds and stuff. So it's like, we're just desperately trying to keep him sober until he can get in. So my, my whole family's had substance use and, you know, I'm better. My one brother's better, but we have this one that we're both trying to be like, all right. Yeah. So then kind of growing up in early 20s, I was just always just anxious, always had some slight depression, just never felt confident, never really felt happy. I would, you know, go to parties and stuff. And I tried some drugs here and there. But the ones that I I really liked were Xanax and Percocet was like the downers. And I feel like those took away my anxiety. I, I just being so self conscious and everything. Like I was like, oh, this is like a magic pill. I can kind of be who I want to be. You know, I can really be Heidi. You know, sometimes I would mix that with drinking, and then I wouldn't remember what I did. <laughs> the next day, people would be like, oh, Heidi, like, do you remember this? And I'd be like, no, I don't. Yeah. I was so dumb. Like early twenties, I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. But now as an adult, I'm like, oh, that's so cringy. That's the so worst. scary. Mm-hmm. Things kind of took a bad turn when I was 24. I was dating this guy and I was like just super in love with him and we went through a breakup and I was just kind of at this point where I was like okay I'm just gonna go and do like all these things that I want to do so I got a nose job I went to Southeast Asia and backpacked around I went to Australia Fortunately for my surgery, the guy, he kind of botched it. And so I was having this chronic pain and he did a lot more than I had wanted to. So this weird thing happened where I I couldn't recognize like my own face, if that makes sense. So it put Mm -hmm. me into this weird depression spiral 
so I was on this backpacking trip and I was like okay I'm trying to like do this trip that I've always wanted to do then it just went completely downhill and then when I was in Australia I was like sexually assaulted that just kind of added on top of it and then I came home I should mention while I was in my downward spiral I was in Southeast Asia where you can buy drugs over the counter really easy mm. like you can buy Xanax diazepam anything you want so I was just having this free-for-all on the beach partying wow. so I was probably like on Xanax every day taking multiple pills for like six months like that's how long I was backpacking for damn that's a trip yeah I know right <laughs> I feel bad kind of being like a part of it was fun but then yeah. like obviously the coming down was horrible right and I didn't I didn't know that you can't go off of benzos cold turkey I didn't know that after I was sexually assaulted, I basically flew home and I was staying with my friend Kevin and he had a, a heroin addiction. So basically I was living with him and I was like going to therapy and basically the trauma had triggered a mental illness in me, like a mental break. So I basically, I dealt OCD. So I was kind of reliving the trauma over and over again. So I was with Kevin I was trying my hardest to come off of all these drugs and get better and not like commit suicide, basically. And then he was trying to get clean off of heroin. So we were kind of like each other's partners. Like Support. we were like our Yeah. And then he decided to go to a detox facility in Costa Rica where they did Ibogaine. And unfortunately, when he was down there, he overdosed and he passed away. And for me, that was like so traumatic because um, I was like starting to get better. From then to about five years, I was basically just using Percocet and Xanax, wasn't able to get clean. I think at that point, I was just kind of had this like fuck life. I just kind of felt like I just wanted to numb and not feel anything. So basically 2019 came around and this was when I decided to actually finally get sober. I had come across some counterfeit pills. Usually I would go to this lady that I would buy pills from and she got them from the pharmacy, but... She had ran out, so I found someone else that where I could get some Percocet from, and they didn't look the same. You know, they looked different. I went on like one of those pill ID websites, and I was like, "This isn't Percocet." Yeah. But you know, I had promised myself I was like, "Okay, you're only going to take prescription. You know, don't do anything risky." But then the addict in me came out and was like, "Oh, how bad can this be?" So I only took like one fourth of the pill. And I would take pills all the time. So it was when I was happy or when I was sad or when I just wanted to go run errands, just any time I could, yeah. really. So <laughs> I had taken this one fourth of a pill and I had gone out to run some errands and I was vacuuming out my car and I just was like, I feel really different. This doesn't feel like the normal stuff. And it's interesting with opiates because like you can when you take a certain amount, you get that euphoria feeling, but then when you kind of take too much, it almost starts to feel painful. It's really weird. So I started kind of feeling this pain and I was like, it wasn't feeling good. And I was like, gosh, shit. Like I, I stayed conscious. I didn't like pass out or anything, but I, that was like a big wake up call for me. I was like, Heidi, what would have happened if you'd taken that whole pill? Like Oof. what if, you yeah. know, that could have been, mm -hmm, yeah. Cause you hear about that all the time. And, and I had heard about that where people were taking pills and they would just not wake up after. And, you know, my whole thing was like, oh, well, I'm taking prescriptions, so I'm safe. Yeah. But it, it just, I really scared myself because I was like, how do you just, I, it was a big wake up call because I was like, how do you just risk your life to get high? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, what would have happened if you hadn't have woken up and 
my mind just went to my family hearing the news, maybe being on the news of like another overdose, you know, like Seattle woman, you know, 29 found in an apartment or, you know, like just stuff like that. I was like, I don't want that to be my story. It was kind of like the big wake up call that I needed. Today's episode of the podcast forecast is brought to you in part by StreamYard. StreamYard has everything you need to create a branded experience with your content. Logos, brand colors, music, overlays, cool transitions, and more. Say goodbye to willy-nilly Wi-Fi connections. StreamYard uses live local recordings, so no matter what kind of connection you or your guest has, you're getting studio-quality video and audio for your podcast recording. Click the link in today's show notes for $10 off any package when you subscribe to StreamYard today. So from then I started to get sober, but then what happened is kind of back to when I had that trauma and I had that mental break and I had the OCD kind of come up, all of that came back. So I was getting sober, but then my OCD came back and it's kind of hard to describe OCD, but it basically feels like you kind of lose control of your mind and your thoughts. For people who don't know what OCD is, you have like an obsession and then you have a distress and then you do like a ritual or something to make it better. And then you get this temporary relief. So it just kind of is like the circle. So for like, like if you would see a stereotypical person with OCD mm-hmm. tapping something, what is it called? A obsession. Yeah. That would be their compulsion. Sorry. So usually it starts with like an internal thought. So someone with like light switch, they would be like, if I don't switch the light switch five times, my family will die. What's weird with OCD is like, there's a part of you that's cognizant where you're like, okay, I know what I'm doing is crazy and it doesn't make sense. But the urge is so intense to like, not give in. So with me, I didn't have physical compulsions, but I had mental. So that would come into my head where it would be like, you're a bad person. Like most people will have thoughts like that, but then they can just kind of dismiss them. But for me, I would have like a panic attack or like with OCD, you can have really intrusive thoughts where like you'll be talking to someone and it'll be like, what if you just like punch them in the face? And then you're like, oh my God, you're like, why did I have that thought? What's wrong with me? Am I a violent person? And then for me, my compulsion would be to go through and be like, well, no, I'm not a bad person because of this, this, this. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the OCD cycle. Got it. Yeah. And OCD, it's like an ego dystonic disorder. So it will attack the opposite of what you are. It's so weird because it knows what you value and share so much. So like for me, I never want to hurt people because you know, my mom is so hurtful. So I never want it to be like her. It knows exactly what to attack and in a strange way. I've basically been in therapy since I was 18, just because when I was 18, I finally left my mom's. I was just so like broken in so many ways. One of the things that just helped me understand her and understand myself more too was just like self-help books. Like I just became obsessed with like reading and learning and all these things. And that just kind of really helped me kind of heal myself and understand my mom more. And understanding her, it helps heal me. It's been a whole whirlwind. (laughs) Yeah. After that 
incident with the pill and you Mm -hmm. decided to start on this path of recovery, was it willpower and one day at a time in the beginning? Or Mm -hmm. did you seek any 12-step recovery or support group? Yeah, so I basically, I went to um, a community mental health place in Seattle. It was called Sound Mental Health. And the people there were so amazing. And they were so kind. I actually didn't know that I had OCD at that time. So earlier, the doctors, they didn't diagnose me with OCD. I think there was just so much that had happened. They were like, they were like, oh yeah, of course this girl is having anxiety, like this rat's nest of trauma. And they were like, <laughs> just trying to be like, I don't know what to do with her. <laughs> yeah, I'm, th- um, I'm grateful that they took the time to dive in and figure things mm-hmm. out for you. Yeah. So basically I went to this mental health facility and the doctor there, I talked to him because I, I thought I, I had schizophrenia. I was like, all these things are happening to me. Like my brain is out of control and having these thoughts that I can't control. And I, I seriously thought like my life was over and I was contemplating suicide again. And that was like, okay, I, I need help. And so I went there and they diagnosed with OCD there's um, certain therapies for OCD that you do. Um, one of them is called ERP, which is exposure response prevention therapy. So they got me on the right medication. I started doing that therapy. And is that like physically exposing to your fears or things mm-hmm. that remind you of your trauma, yeah. like exposure? Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically, it's kind of similar to like when people have certain phobias. So with OCD, you know how you'll get a thought and you'll be like, oh no, I would never do that. The way to combat it is to be like, well, I might you know, I might, you just going to have to have this acceptance and what would happen if I did? Yeah. So you kind of have to be like, well, what if I did? And then basically you kind of go through this like anxiety and then after the anxiety subsides and you're like, okay, I'm fine. Cause you basically have to stop yourself from doing the compulsion that gives you relief. So for me, it would be checking. So like when I thought I had schizophrenia before I went to the doctor, like this is so OCD, but I would get this thought of like, what if you have schizophrenia? And then I'd be like, well, oh my God, do I? And then I'd go to the computer and I'd Google all the symptoms. I'd be like, well, I don't have that. I don't have that. So then I'd have that temporary relief. That's why I kind of said, I don't really remember getting clean or going through the Mm. withdrawals because I was just so mentally like just out of it, just trying to fight through these intrusive thoughts. Very exhausted. Cause that's one thing I hear people talking about, like with opiates, they're like, oh, the withdrawals were so horrible. And I'm like, don't remember them at all, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. In my experience, you know, things Mm -hmm. definitely got worse before they got better because it's this roller coaster Mm -hmm. of emotions, right? With the withdrawals and the sort of questioning life and questioning everything. Do you remember when you first started to feel that first little bit of gratitude and what it was regarding? I remember the first thing. For me, it was just being able to kind of leave my house again. And not having to have pills on me. Because mm. for me, it was always like the safety blanket of yeah. the Xanax and stuff. Because I had a really hard time leaving the house. It was my anxiety and everything. Going to the grocery store, driving. Just all these things were like just so overwhelming. And then I remember just kind of finally being able to just go out. I was like, okay, I don't need this stuff. Like I can, I can do this. I can face life and I don't have to be a slave to these drugs. I had been afraid to travel for a long time, you know, flying anywhere because then I was like, what if I get caught with my drugs, you know? And it's so, for me, that was a big thing too. I was kind of, it was kind of this freeing feeling where I was like, oh, I could actually go somewhere now. I could fly somewhere and I don't need these drugs. So that was like a big weight being lifted off too. 
That's how the coming off. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I know you're you're pretty active on Instagram now, and you're doing things like mm -hmm. this and sharing your story and and being public about your recovery. What was the mm -hmm. catalyst to start to recover out loud? Yeah, so I got clean about 2019, and then I feel like I didn't really start sharing a lot until like. 2022 well for me well first i kind of started doing like fitness stuff and working out and that just kind of really helped me feel better and it was kind of the way i combated my like anxiety and depression so first i just kind of started showing like fitness stuff and then like my weight loss and everything like that because i had that transfer addiction where i you know put down the pills and i picked up the foods so I started yes. eating a lot <laughs> and then I was like okay Heidi this is also not a good addiction so <laughs> nope. we're gonna go to the gym <laughs> yeah then it was like around 2022 that I kind of started sharing that I had had an addiction problem all these things and just kind of sharing that and I was I was really scared at first because I was a very like functional addict like I was still going to work like no one ever suspected that I had a problem, which to me is like kind of crazy now looking back. I'm like, I was pretty loopy at some yeah. of those parties. And yeah. maybe they just thought I was drunk or something. Right. <laughs> For me, the, the scariest part was like telling my dad. I was like, because I, I wanted to tell him before I posted anything because I didn't want him to find out through social media. So yeah, so I just kind of started sharing and then all the feedback that I got was really loving and really supportive. And then people started messaging me too and being like, hey, like I went through the same thing or they're like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of dealing with this right now. Like what advice do you have? And that just kind of gave me this like sense of relief because then I also, I just that shame started to leave me like you know I just still I had that shame for a really long time so being able to just kind of share that and then to start helping other people was so rewarding it just kind of felt like it gave me a purpose and that I could take all of this pain and trauma that I went through and actually kind of use it towards something positive so for me that really that just really helped the the whole experience i didn't feel like resentful at all towards what i went through i was like okay i can be powerful with it i can share it and i can use it for good <laughs> so have you been able to sort of understand your mom's situation and sort of where she was coming from and because i look at my situation and, and wondering that if i were a parent when I was at my lowest, how I would have been able to cope or what my child's experience would have been like. Mm -hmm. Is there any sort of, I don't know if forgiveness is the right word, but understanding on your mom's part to mm -hmm. sort of see the situation yeah. she was in? No, I definitely have a lot of understanding and empathy just because the more I read about borderline personality disorder and stuff, it's just from what I've read from people who have it, they talk about, they said sometimes it just feels like they're their brain is on fire like they feel things so much more than we do i i definitely feel a lot of empathy towards her and i i don't blame her because it's like she has this thing and she didn't ask for it i know that she loved me and she did the best she could and we are on talking terms now and when we met again i didn't know what it was going to be like i was really kind of scared I can imagine. So, um, but My heart's was, beating just hearing you like yeah, tell the story. I don't, I feel like if I say this, it'll sound bad, but she was kind of like the boogeyman a little bit to me. Sure. I was so afraid of her. I was terrified of her. 
so it was weird when I was driving to go see her again for the first time I was like shaking and I was like my boyfriend was driving me and I was like I remember just having these thoughts like I don't know if I knew this we should turn around like because I was so <laughs> yeah. still but then when I finally saw her and I just saw her I was like she's this 50 something year old lady like she can't hurt me and she did in a way say that she regretted a lot of things we didn't talk about it a long time but she never like outright said sorry but she was like you know I I wish I would have done something differently and you know she was like I, I was just really angry during those times and I didn't know how to control my anger and her just kind of admitting that was very therapeutic for me and because if she was like oh I I did nothing wrong then right. it would have been it would have been a little bit harder to kind of Definitely. still talk but yeah, so we've been trying to work on our relationship again, and it's been healing for sure. She did go to therapy, so she's a lot better with it. She doesn't have these extreme like emotional outbursts a lot. We're doing better, so that's that's been good because that was a big hole missing in my life. You know, just growing up being like I, not really having a mom or a mother figure it was really hard. I'm glad to hear that. Mm -hmm. So, what's on your vision board? What's next for Heidi? So for me, I'm, I'm doing the fitness training and you know I've got some people that I'm training right now and just working with them has been so rewarding. My, my long-term goal would be to do that full-time. I would also like to be a sobriety coach so I can help people who've gone through the stuff that I went through. I never went through a 12-step program. I just kind of worked, had worked one-on-one -on -one with a counselor, but I want to become more knowledgeable about that and just other ways I can help people. Like my my goal is to have like a fitness slash sobriety program. So if someone's like, yeah. hey, I just got sober or if I'm struggling right now, I can kind of help guide them through that journey. And to me, that just kind of feels like it gives gives my life life purpose. Like I have some clients right now where, you know, they were kind of in a similar place where I was and just seeing them thrive, it just makes me so happy. It's just like the best feeling in the world to be able to do that and contribute and just kind of being someone's coach. And, you know, because I didn't, I didn't really have someone when I was going through that. It's just, it's really cool to be there for someone to be like, hey, like you're feeling this way, just stick it out. Or, you know, like you might end up feeling like this, or, you know, you can kind of help them with what might be coming up next or things like that. Health and fitness and recovery or sobriety, they go so hand in hand. Mm -hmm. You know, the fitness side of things is so important. And especially if you're new to recovery and it keeps you busy and it keeps your mind off of things and it's rewarding if you see results in, mm -hmm. in your weight or your fitness or whatnot. So I think that's a great plan. Mm -hmm. So Heidi, as you know, I like to leave the okay. listeners with some takeaways or tangible things. So I want to tie this one sort of with family, since we've discussed addiction being a, a family disease in particular with your siblings. So if someone's listening and they mm -hmm. have a loved one who's struggling. What can someone do from a family or a loved one's perspective, perhaps to offer mm -hmm. assistance or to help their loved one make it out of their mm -hmm. hell? I would say to just give them love and support. But the thing with my brother, him, it was a little difficult because he would ask for money a lot and we'd be like, okay, if we give you money, we know it's going to go to fentanyl. So right. 
what we what we did is all because what happened is like his dad was giving him money and then he would stop and then my mom would give him money and she would stop and he would just kind of go back and forth so as a family we all kind of got together as a group and we had like a game plan of like nobody give him money until he goes to rehab and he was he was at the point where he kind of needed that so I would say it's you need a combination of love and support but then you I don't know if tough love is the right word but you kind of need to be like hey we're not going to keep giving you money like we're not going to keep helping you like destroy your life you know like at some point you're going to need to start helping yourself and when we did that then within a few weeks he was like okay I'm ready to go to rehab so yeah with my brother it's just it's been hard to kind of see him on drugs and the person he's become but it's I just have this hope that my the brother that I grew up with is still in there. I know that it'll be a long journey of recovery for him, but I'm I'm not giving up, but I'm still having those boundaries with him. So I would say just love, support, and, and boundaries. Heidi, you're a beautiful soul inside and out. I'm so grateful that we had this time together mm-hmm. today. I'll link everything in today's show notes, but where can people find you online? Yeah, so I have an Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is Heidi, H-E-I-D-I underscore. My last name, Bechtel Fit. My last name is B-A-C-H-T-E-L and then Fit, F-I-T. Okay, you can reach out to me there. I'm, I'm an open book. If anybody has any questions about family or really anything, I'm available to help. And, it, it makes me really happy to help. So don't feel like you're bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> Heidi, thank you so much. Let's keep in touch, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for listening today, friend. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. Make sure you check today's show notes for all the information discussed in today's episode and how to connect with our guests. Until next Wednesday, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, everyone.